0: Hello and welcome to the second part of this Read All About It podcast extra episode, where Stephen Keaty and I have been selecting some of our favourite English and Scottish books. In part one, we discussed The Damned United, The Cone Gatherers, Feet in the Clouds, Lanark, Brit Lane and Our Fathers. And now in part two, we talk through the remainder of our choices. We're on to your next book choice and it's another football book and it's a book called All Played Out by Pete Davis, which is the story of Italia 90.
1: It is. So it's interesting to talk about a book that is um, essentially set in Italy that is very much about England. It is the story of Italia 90, but it's essentially the story of England's Italia 90. And the reason I've chosen it is that from a football cultural perspective, there's one massive moment in my lifetime which changed essentially the game as we know it and that is England versus West Germany the World Cup semi-final guys are crying the missed penalties 20 million people watching it on TV um which had ne- figures like that had never been seen before and Gary Lineker sort of have a word with him to Bobby Robson and, and the returning defeated heroes and all, all that sort of stuff that followed and then two years later the Premier League and just football on TV all the time and the way that the game changed following that tournament and Davis's um, book he was given full access to the England team to Bobby Robson he had a press pass that allowed him into other areas of the World Cup that a normal fan couldn't go but he spent time with your average fan that had traveled he spent time with the hooligans he spent time with watching other games and he he's written this book which is sort of part memoir part travel log part journalistic look at England but in terms of the access that he got to tell this story he was he was able to you know just ring up an England midfielder at you know the night after one of the games and say do you fancy a coffee and can we have a chat about the match and the, the player would just come and meet him you know he, he had such trust within the within the squad that he was able to get all this access to tell this story of of the England tournament all the way through to that very pivotal moment of the semi-final he was able to tell that story with by basically through the players and and Bobby Robson's voices. I did a bit of just looking up, a little bit about the book because I've not read it for a few years but I did so I did a little bit of looking up about the book the other day and there's an interview with him from a, a couple of years ago because it, I don't know if you remember you're probably not that bothered to be honest but there was a, a documentary that came out a few years ago I think it was 2014 called One Night in Turin which is essentially the story of, of Davis's book and they actually re-released the book as One Night in Turin and he wrote the scripts for it um, and it talks about his writing career and he's written he's written some novels and and he's written this book but he's now working I don't know in what capacity, but he's now working for Sainsbury's. You know, he's not a full-time full-time writer. I don't know what he does. Just I don't know if he's on the checkouts or, or whether he's in you know head office. But it's, it was really fascinating because he it's just a book that you couldn't write that book now. You would never get the access and the the freedom of of the players to give their honest opinions of um, of what one they think of the manager and they think of the tactics and, and not necessarily in a we don't like him way, but just in a, we feel it would be better if we did this. And England actually made some changes to the way they played off the back of what the players said to Robson and, and that allowed them to sort of progress through the tournament because they, they changed their style and, and that helped them progress. But I just think as a book, it, it gives real insight into the, it, it almost feels like a full stop between the way football used to be and the way football is now. And it feels like this, this book tells the story of everything that came afterwards, so from the early 90s onwards and about how we, about how football is always with us. It's in nearly every conversation. It's, it's, you know, it's on our phones all the time. You can, you know, you only need to type in the name of the match on Google and you can get a stream. And it's just continually just there, 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 there all the time, you know, 24 hour news about it. It feels like this sort of says all of this came because of this one moment. And this is what that one moment was about. And it, it's just a fascinating insight into that, that tournament. It's also interesting for me because that tournament is the first World Cup I remember. So I was eight when that World Cup happened. That makes me feel so old because <laughs> I remember my first World Cup I remember was 74. Oh, OK. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for being born in 82. Do
0: you know what I think is fascinating about that the book and that, that World Cup? It's kind of hard, it's always hard to kind of talk about, as a Scottish person, to talk about the English national team, but to try and do it dispassionately because, obviously, it's it's the kind of standing joke up here any time that there's any England national game on it. It's almost like a kind of, how many seconds into the game before 1966 is mentioned. So, <laughs> it's that, you have to kind of separate that. What I think is fascinating, and I don't know if you ever read Dietmar Haman, probably wouldn't have read his autobiography, but there's a section in it where he, it's really brilliant because he says... Gaza's tears sum up English football as a national team. If Gaza had done that as a German player, he would have been pilloried. He wouldn't have been lauded. It wouldn't have been a heroic moment because in that moment, it was all about Gaza. It was all about him missing out in the World Cup. And so he was no longer focused on the game. It was all about him. Have a word with him because the team was second to him. And he contrasts it with Michael Ballack in the 2002 World Cup. The same thing happened to him in the semi-final. He was booked. He knew he was going to miss the final. He ended up scoring the winning goal and got to them in the final. And it also reminds me of Roy Keane, where... Again, Keane knows he's not playing in the Champions League final, but he wins that game for United, and it's a difference. And it's interesting, because what I did was I checked. So from 90, so obviously Germany won the World Cup in 1990. They've won it once since then. They've been second. They've been third twice. And I think the last World Cup was the first time, I think, that England finished better than, yeah. than Germany. And so as a national team, as a, the England national team, they've never learned anything in terms of how to win a tournament. There's been loads of good things in terms of the Premier League and stuff. I think the biggest thing that's suffered from the Premier League has been the England national team. Oh, absolutely. And the other thing, which is a real bugbear of mine, as a football fan, I've no desire to see England win a tournament, but it's one of my pet hates over years and years. Paul Scholes is the best player that England have produced in the last 30 years. He is the England Javi and Busquets. He is as good as those players. He is an extraordinary player. They should have built their team around them. And then when Carrick came through, that was the England midfield. Everybody else didn't matter because if you have two guys that can run a midfield, as Spain proved, you can win anything. But England were so obsessed with this Gerard lampard thing to get them both in the team, shoehorn them in, not playing the two of them in their best positions. But as a result, Scholes was either out wide in the right or he's watching the game. I can't imagine why Scholes just eventually went, you know what, forget it. And I couldn't believe successive managers had the guy who was the best... I mean, he was on a par with these guys. So... I, I, and as a, just as a football fan, it just used to bug me that nobody could see the fact that you had these players, you had a player that you could build your whole team around and you would have probably won something.
1: You're absolutely not wrong. And I totally agree <laughs> with you about Scholes and Carrick. And I can, you know, we can do another podcast about the joys of Scholes and Carrick if you want. I'll happily give up time to do that. But from a United fans perspective, it was ideal that they didn't like him because... Skulls and Carrick weren't used and therefore they got rested and we went on to win European Cups with them and we will happily take that over England doing well in the tournament any day. But I it's- think in
0: terms of the the book, if the story of English football for the last 30 years, the iconic moments is Gaza's tears, Skinner and Badil singing football's coming home, As they get knocked out of the tournament in in England when they should have won. It's iconic moments that ultimately the difference is Germany's iconic moments are winning tournaments. Football at a professional level is all about winning. And if it's not about winning, then just go and play in the part like the rest of us. You know, fair enough. It's a it's a guy crying, and he you know there'd been this big hype of getting Gaza to, to the, into the England squad. I mean, it was just it was a late burst in the squad, and he did really well during the tournament. But that's what I loved about Deepmar Hamani. He just analysed it and said that's the difference because we want to win, we win as a team, and we do win. And England, you know, it all became about Gaza and this clown figure. I mean, he was an absolute genius of a footballer. It was a pivotal moment, but it, it's it kind of goes to the, the the heart of of England's failure as a as a but,
1: football nation. From the book's perspective, though, what it what it does and what I like about it is it tells the story of what was before and what and then you know what came after. So forgetting whether England did, did well or not after that, it shows you that, that I think that moment showed probably executives in suits we can sell this game on TV and we can sell mm. it more than we've been doing now and we can change it as a product. And I think the book, to me, feels very much like this is the last of how it used to be because what comes after is very different. And we can, you know, you can argue all day about whether it different, is better or not. You know, the, the the quality of the league has improved massively with the money of the Premier League. But the quality of the match going fan, is that better? You know, in terms of how they're treated, in terms of ticket prices, in terms of, You know, being your average man that football was originally for being priced out. And that tournament feels like the last big, this is for the football fan that, you know, lived through the 80s and the 70s and and those horrible stadiums. And, you know, when the the, the fans themselves were treated horrendously by, you know, police and and government and, and those things, it does feel like a full stop of you know this is the end of it's almost like there's football mark one and football mark two and that that book says this is the reason that it changed is because you had 20 million people watching it on tv and Gaza cried and a nation saw themselves in those tears whether that's a positive or a negative in terms of winning tournaments in the future etc but in terms of a nation getting behind the team and being being one and then feeling that disappointment, you can see why it's so iconic because it reflected how the nation felt about this. You know, the, of all the players to it to happen to, it's the one who's got that little bit of spark of genius and is a little bit different and is a little bit non-English really in the way he played. He would have walked into other teams, absolutely no problem. He would have he would have been able to go into any team in the world, Gazza, and hold his own with some of the world's, world's great players and change those teams and he was ours and then when we were so close to reaching the final he was the one that that had that moment from an english culture perspective that night changed so much and this book tells the story of what came before that night and then that night so well so definitely definitely worth being on the list
0: we're on to my next book and if i mentioned the last time about in terms of the kind of religious themes of andrew hagan this is what i would call a Catholic novel in terms of Anne Donovan, her background and religion runs all the way through it. And it's basically the story of, it's told the three perspectives as a family, a, a girl and her mum and dad, and her, and her dad decides to convert to, to Buddhism. It's really, it's funny, It's it's gentle, it's really clever uh, it's so the first i was just going to read the first paragraph because it's written in the kind of glasgow vernacular as well so i think if you're reading it if you were to read it it's almost like if you watched a, a subtitle film you know like it just takes a couple yes. of minutes for your, your brain to click into it so it's the same thing with this so the, the kind of first paragraph and so it starts off my dad's a nutter radio rental he'd do anything for a laugh so he would went doing the shops with a pair of knickers and he'd tell the wifey next door we'd won the lottery and we're flitting to Barbados. But that was daft stuff compared to what he's went and done now. He's turned into a Buddhist. I I read that first paragraph and I just thought this is just amazing and I just love this book And, and I think she's a great writer and she also wrote a brilliant book of short stories called Hieroglyphics. And a few years back, Uh, We went through a phase in the Celtic View, which is the the club magazine of commissioning every month a a short story from various Scottish writers. And some, you know, Denise Minor wrote Bernard Maclafferty, some big names, and got Anne Donovan to write a story as well, which was great. And there was two reasons, other reasons I was going to mention this, but one is I I once had to do a review for it. And it was like uh, the List magazine did their 100 top Scottish novels. So I had to write about this and I found the review, right? So I thought you would like the last line of my review and it said, I said the book reminded me of my favourite songs. And if buddha da was a record it would be the smith's self-titled debut album i can't say better than that there's a there's a
1: little plug there for eight albums coming isn't (laughs) it
0: it, exactly and the other reason i went to the book launch for this and i was there with willie mealy who was one of the previous guests Uh, he knew and i think i think she maybe studied his creative writing course so anyway we did we were there and i bought my copy and everything that was great and one of Willie's other students had come over, so Willie introduced me and he said, This is Paul Coddy. he works at Celtic and she was she was completely blown Oh, that's amazing. Oh, I love Celtic. My brother's the biggest Celtic fan in the world and that was fine. Yeah, 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 that's great. So she goes away, she goes back about twenty minutes later with a copy of Buddha Da. And asks me to sign it and I was saying, Well, oh, I can't sign it, that's not my book and she went, No, no, no and opens up the back and said, No, could you just sign it, sign it for my brother? He'll be absolutely delighted. So eventually I had to sign this book to get to get rid of her and I just thought this guy was probably looking forward to getting a signed copy of Buddha Da and he gets it home and he looks at the back and goes, Who the hell's Paul Cuddy? <laughs> oh, so there's a there's a copy of Buddha Da somewhere which He's is got... signed at the front by Anne Donovan and signed at the back by me. But it's a really it's a beautiful really sweet book. She's a really beautiful writer and it's funny but it's really it kind of goes into this whole idea of again traditional adherence to certain faiths and how somebody decides to do not only go into a different faith but just doing something different and how what that interaction is within the family between the the husband and wife and then what the repercussions are for the daughter as well and she in particular the, the daughter's voice is absolutely brilliant
1: there are two two things on this book it was going to be one, but as you've just read the first paragraph, if you want to do another podcast where you read the whole book, I will happily listen to it because that was amazing. <laughs> you should do the audiobook version. But I was interested, what you'd said about our fathers and about, you know, the holding in of emotion and the not talking about it. Is there, is there a sort of link with the fact that this book probably a bit more about getting in touch with your emotions and understanding those a bit more and, and sitting with them and, you know, in, in the way Buddhism can? Because I, I noted when you sent me the list and I was having a look at the books, I noted that he's a, a painter and decorator, is that right? Yeah. So very much uh, you know, what, what you would you think potentially is a traditional working class role and skill. Um and I just wondered, although it's you know, it's light and, and comic and and stuff, I just wondered if there was a for you a kind of the the book shows that it's kind of mo- you know, moving away from those original things that are mentioned in our fathers about not you know men not being in touch with their feelings and stuff is is there a link there for you or am i just waffling no no because it's interesting because at first i think they think he's just it's just another one of these daft things he's doing
0: but actually it's something that he decides he decides to do because he he feels it's benefiting him and he's and he's he's kind of breaking away from what what people would traditionally think of how he should act and how he should be but within that oh and i think that's what the difficulty for the family have because they can't understand it's something serious and he's Getting benefits of it from those reasons of maybe just being able to think and express feelings that he's maybe had to suppress or wasn't able to do, and and how and but then how the family because that's not how your dad's or your husband's yeah. supposed to be. You're not supposed to do that. So I, it's really the dynamics of that are really good, and because she writes it in three different voices, you're getting in the head of the three of them and getting their perspective as it's happening. And I think that's that's a really clever. It's quite a difficult thing to do to to tell three distinct voices but bring it all together, and she does it really well.
1: It's uh, it's definitely one that's going on the to be read list. Absolutely, I think it sounds great.
0: And now that I've said it, it is like the Smiths' first album. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel
1: I like I must read
0: it. I forgot I'd written that until I, I found this. I found that review, and I just I did when I when I read it, I did laugh because given the fact that I that was yeah. one of the albums I chose from for the eight albums thing, so. We're on to the last of uh, your books, and it's a book called Fan by Danny Rhodes.
1: Yeah, so this is, I think, to give people an insight into into how the podcast came about, I chose this this morning. You know, I, I bumped off the football factory for this. So the book is about a Nottingham Forest fan uh, called John Finch, who, in the 80s, spends his time going to watch Nottingham Forest up and down the country. He's a, you know, he's a young lad, living a, a young lad's life. He's a postman, and he happens to be 18 when he is at Hillsborough for the 1989 semi-final between Forest and Liverpool and obviously the tragedy that happened uh, on that day and he witnesses that from across the ground it obviously is not involved with it in the same way that that, the Liverpool fans were but he he witnesses it and it it has a you know an obvious huge impact on his life and the the book is essentially about PTSD and uh, the impact that that day had on this man so it almost feels like, and it it's not, the two books are not linked, but in style, and there's a link with Brian Clough, because he was the forest manager at the time, you could read it in the same way that sometimes they show two films at a cinema that are by different directors, but they feel like they're, they're sort of pieces that link. It almost feels like it could be a sequel to The Damned United in terms of tone and in terms of style. There's two timelines that run through it, so there's the The leading up to Hillsborough timeline, and then there's the I think it takes place in 2004. So and the character in his as he's an adult is a a teacher, and he's away on a teacher conference at the start of the book. And when he finds out that Brian Clough's died, and that sort of sparks the memories and about that day and about watching Forest. And it's it's just an incredible piece of writing about the impact that one moment can have on someone's life and how it can affect them forever, really. And Although it's a novel, I think there's a lot of Danny Rhodes and Danny Rhodes' story within the book, and I know that Rhodes was at was at Hillsborough um, and did did go through some of the the things that that John Finch, the character, goes through. But it just it, it again, it just showed me that there was another side to the obviously there's the human side from the Liverpool fan story, you know, which should be shared over and over again about what happened on that day, but. It also made me realise that there were other people at that game that, that would have been affected forever, that I've never really read one of their stories or, or listened to any of their stories because they're you know, obviously not as newsworthy because of you know the the inquiries that have gone on and and the the people that died and it's just it's a fascinating book but also it's a really interesting and really great study of ptsd and and the the effect that that can have on you know just your average person and a a teacher that is is just trying to do his work and and live his life but this impact this event's impacted him hugely um and it's it's just it's a, a phenomenal piece of writing
0: as you say, before we, we started recording this, it was just that you made the, the change. And it's certainly a book I had I was unfamiliar with, but I, I know it's definitely one I want to read. As you say, it's just about, you know, Hillsborough runs through it. And I immediately can remember... In my mum and dad's, obviously, at home, and watching those events unfold on TV because we were playing Celtic, we were playing Hibs at Hamden in the Scottish Cup semi final the next day. And I always remember we went and it was a beautiful, sunny day, but there was a real, a real subdued atmosphere. There was a kind of sense, obviously, Celtic have like really strong connections with Liverpool, but I think just as football fans and having been on terraces and, and obviously at various times, people that there's, there's been a crush and there's been anything like that, but. For the grace of God, we, we were all okay. But then, having seen what had happened, and, and slowly starting to realise the, the enormity of that tragedy, and there the was a real sense of of just so it was ho- so horrible. And then, obviously, subsequently, what you what you hear over the years of the, the terrible injustice of it and everything that it's it's had a profound impact and continues to do, I think, on football. And I think it is a fascinating, you know, as you say, that for somebody that perspective of somebody who was there from supporting the other team, and and but how that affects them, because you're actually at an event where you know so many people 96 people lost their lives which is just it's beyond comprehension
1: yeah it's and it's it's very well done it's a very good read in that you know it's it's a page turning novel it's it's not you know it's not just a look back at hillsborough and what happened on that day for the sake of talking about hillsborough you know the, there's a real narrative that runs through the book that is a an interesting and an enjoyable read but to take such a pivotal moment and, and show it from the perspective of someone was there and, and how that's still in the book impacting their lives 15 years later is is really fascinating and actually links to what we were talking about with some of the other books about men and their feelings and how they're not always shared and how suppressing those feelings and not talking about things and can have such a a devastating impact on on people if they're not willing to sort of speak up, um, and it's it's just a great great read, and I'm glad that I remembered it a couple of minutes before we uh, <laughs> we hit record on this because it it's definitely a book that I think links in with the other books that. i've I've talked about you know particularly all played out and and definitely the damned united if you were gonna sort of recommend two books about clough that are not biographies about clough you might go for these two even though they're novels because they tell the sort of story of people around him and uh and the sort of other world that that he was involved in and the impact that he had on people's lives and i think it's it's not an easy read because it's you know the subject matter is is a very difficult one but it is a it's a very very good read and it's one i would recommend you might want to read something light after it though because it is a. yeah
0: it's, it's well it's definitely funny. one um, i'm definitely going to, to look into it because i say i think the subject matter but also the fact that when we were talking to about football fiction i think uh i'm, I'm really intrigued to read that yeah we're on to the last and final book of the Scotland and England choice and it's my last book and it's a book called Divided City by Teresa Breslin and it's a book I think primarily aimed at young adults I think one of the things I've always said that for example Robin Jenkins who I think is so underrated one of Scotland's best-kept secrets I think he's he is that good I think Teresa Breslin again is, is another author particular of young adult books I think she's a brilliant writer I think her books are fantastic I think she tackles some difficult subjects and in, th- in this book it's all about sectarianism racism you know to do with asylum seekers and refugees and I think this book you know so it was published 15 years ago and it's still as pertinent as ever and particularly in a city like Glasgow where you know the divided city would be particularly for people on the outside would look and would be traditionally Catholic Protestant but then bringing in you know people from other cultures and other faiths and how how we as a city and how people interact and it starts off so the two main characters one as a Catholic one is a Protestant they're never really going to meet they go to different schools etc but they kind of bond over their football ability and they play in the same team what happens is one of the boys had witnessed the, an attack on a young asylum seeker boy and it's it's kind of them as young adults suddenly becoming aware of these issues and and how they deal with it and how you have to break away from traditional tribal loyalties and what you're maybe being told because actually you see so like in terms of his Teammate who comes from a different culture and different faith, but it's his friend, it's his teammates So seeing the person beyond the the labels, and it's a really, but done in a really in a way that can appeal to young adults and adults as well. And actually, again, I went to the launch of this book and. As I say, I, I, I'm i a big fan of Teresa Breslin I think she's brilliant and I, when I got speaking to her and I told her at the time that my son, Andrew didn't really read books and I was trying to get him to encourage to read books so she gave me that so I've actually got this, this copy here that she's signed for him she says I hope you enjoy this story, Andrew best wishes, Teresa Breslin and I've really enjoyed the story I have to report to, to Teresa if she's listening to that Andrew's still not read the book
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder at the back of that book is it to Andrew you know, and then signed Paul Cunahy as well
0: <laughs> I, Read this book, Your Dad um, and yeah. <laughs> no but it's a really it's a really good book and it's one of the- Again, for sort of late primary school, early secondary school, I think it'd be a great book to, to teach kids because while it tackles serious issues, also there's football that runs through it, which I always think it's interesting. I used to go and do talks at schools and, and it was all about trying to encourage children to read and write, but it was like maybe teaching them how to, to write a match report, etc. And you would go in and sometimes even in, in secondary schools and afterwards the teacher would say, that was amazing, I've never seen them so interested and concentrated. And I used to say, well, that's because it's football. Cause they're interested in football, and, and you know, Teresa Breslin tackles a really serious issue, but football's at the heart of it, and I think that's what would engage with people. And, and as I say, I, I, I love that book and I love the issues it tackles. And obviously, I, I say I think she's quite underrated or goes under the radar a wee bit in Scotland, and I, I don't think she should.
1: It's, um, it sounds like a really interesting, really interesting book for uh, when I was looking into it. Just the fact immediately, obviously, from being outside the city and the country, and the the immediate thing of the two kids being Rangers and Celtic fans, you think might immediately sort of a bit tense of like, oh, how does this play out? And but I suppose when you talk about the innocence of children and and that not really being a thing to them and not understanding the you know the history that that comes with that, um, I was I was genuinely interested to read it as well. So I think it's one that I'll uh, I'll go for and. Sort of made a note to think maybe when my sons like, so my son's eight at the moment and he's just getting into reading. When he's a little bit older, it might be one to pass on to him because obviously, say, the football element of it might make it a bit, yeah. a bit more interesting for him as well. But there's a a way to kind of teach him a little bit about about the world. There's a book uh, that my wife read to him actually called The Boy at the Back of the Class which is um, about an asylum seeker that comes to England and it's told from the perspective of one of the other children in the class and who befriend him but it it tells the story of an asylum seeker and what they go through to to come to England and then how, how they're treated once here and through the perspective of the other children in his class and it's My wife and uh, my son both said it was absolutely amazing. My son loved it because he just thought it was a great story, but my wife said that you could tell that, you know, she was able to kind of probe a few questions about what do you think about the way that they're treating him there or what do you think about this? Mm. And I think fiction's a great way, isn't it, to kind of talk to people about, you know, the world and and what we experience through it, because you can really do some very specific things and very specific scenes to highlight stuff without, without, you know, hitting it over the head with a hammer. If it's done subtly, it can be done really well.
0: I think you're right. I think the best literature, whether it's for children or young adults or even adults, it can reflect a wider society and it can, you know, can educate you as, as much as, you know, watching a documentary. And I think, as I say, I think that's what that book does. I think it does. And certainly maybe from a perspective of people looking out into Glasgow, because I think there's that kind of, there's a stereotype of that kind of divide. And it's like everything else. It's so much more complicated than that. Yeah. But the book does that really well. we
1: will have to get him to read it and just get him on. In, I know that you do the What Andrew's Not Reading.
0: The only way, I've always said, the only ways i ever going to read is if it's to impress a girl.
1: <laughs> well, maybe there's a podcast. So, <laughs> there's, so there's all kinds yes, of dating shows now. Maybe that could be a new one.
0: <laughs> books to impress a girl with or, or a boy. We are out of time here in this Scotland and England chat it's been really interesting and really fascinating it's always I I, I say it, I think every podcast it's great when you get someone else's perspective on books that they they love because then it's just suddenly either it's giving you more books to read but also makes you think I think sometimes it just makes you think about how you read as well and what books you're reading and uh, it's been really interesting
1: yeah no I've really enjoyed it thanks for having me back
0: no doubt uh, we'll, we'll speak again but uh, thanks as always Stephen
1: no problem no problem thanks very much Mike. Thanks for listening
0: to the Read All About It podcast and I'd love to hear what you thought about it. You can get in touch via Twitter at ReadAllAbout20, on Instagram at ReadAllAboutItPodcast or you can send an email to ReadAllAboutIt at paulcuddehy.com If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddehy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading.